This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Harryhausen's, the world's greatest amusement park extravaganza. From the Retosaurus roller coaster to the Mighty Joe Young gorilla exhibit and back to the Golden Voyage interactive thrill ride, you'll stop at every turn and motion your family to witness the spectacle. Order tickets now online or use promo code ARGONAUTS for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen. Hello, everyone. So, how are things going with, on your end, Stephen? Uh, still fighting with the cold. It's gotten a lot colder. It, it started to warm up and then came back cold again, so I'm, I'm still, still working with that. Uh, uh, I like yeah. the cold, you know, not to a point. And then there's, you know, the time I just get tired of it because it gets too cold. Yeah. So, well, I am I a very, I've, I'm a very fluffy person who has a lot of extra layers on me. So I, I kind of enjoy the cold more than the heat. Um, mm-hmm. We, we've been, yeah, we've had it cold here where I live, but then it got warm again and started raining and so oh, we've yeah. had a bunch of rain that went through, and now the rain has passed, so now we're supposed to have a cold front coming through uh, mm. real soon. So it's like, oh, it's finally getting cold again, but I hate when it rains like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to have uh, some of those layers you're talking about, and I, I found a way to get them off, and it's, it's, I'm starting to kind of miss them every now and again, you know, because I'm like, all right, this is a lot colder than I remember. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely built for colder climates. (laughs) All right, well, I think it's time we can just dive right into the news for this week. Um, So I'm going to let you take over. Uh, Do you have any news from the wide world of giant monster movies? Well, I was trying to find something, you know, fingers crossed that 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 trailer we keep harping on was going to show up, but it did not. Although I do, I am getting hints you know little things that i keep hearing out on the web for some reason are pointing toward december i don't know why that month is particularly special but i have heard december so we'll see i was kind of hoping maybe uh uh thanksgiving around that time since what aren't there football games i'm not a football person so you know, I, I was thinking maybe football game, the people will be watching. That'd be a great time to release it, you know, but I don't know that for sure. Don't yeah, know that for sure. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It makes as much sense as anything else that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I saw the thing online about in December. I don't know where that necessarily came from. From what I can tell, it mm. just kind of somebody just said it. Uh, yeah. I can't tell where the source came from. So I don't know how legitimate it is but mm-hmm. we never know um i know one of the news things i wanted to talk about today um there was a rumor that is circulating right now that the movie godzilla versus kong is going to be pushed back until later in the mm-hmm. year now that comes yeah. from a particular person who says that they are uh they have a source within 
the whole industry and so they know the ins and outs of it and they know that uh, that the movie is going to be pushed back it would not surprise me if it gets pushed back since we haven't seen too much marketing from it mm-hmm. but at the same time we have to remember i want to reinforce this with listeners that is just a rumor from one person we right. have no confirmation from any other source that says the movie is going to be pushed back. So we just have to wait and see on that. But uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I've heard that they wanted to push it back to May. Uh, that's that's come up several times. And I think kind of what you were saying, you know, rumors and we, we don't know for sure. One thing that I would even kind of use as an example, and I don't know if it's a good example, but it's an example nonetheless, that we didn't see any promotional materials for Solo a Star Wars story mm-hmm. until four months before the movie came out. And then a huge marketing push kicked off for that. So they could be attempting something like that. I'm not saying that that necessarily worked for that movie, but right. they they could be. Yeah. And for Solo, it seemed like there was a reason for it because, um, you know, losing the directors getting a new Mm -hmm. director having a reshoot and everything so it seemed like there was a reason behind it and that's what a lot of people are asking is there a reason that these uh, the uh trailer has not come out yet is it because they've had trouble on set or anything we haven't had any news about any kind of production issues so the only thing we know is that they're just they're waiting to release it so um as far as the trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong is, it's another week of no news. <laughs> yeah. And I've I've seen um, actor interviews and things like that. I think they said that, uh, like I saw a bit with Alexander Sarsgaard, who's supposed to be in the film. And I'm not quite sure who he's playing, but it was, it was just kind of a casual interview where he's like, why did you take this role? And he's like, because it was something different that I've not done before. And I kind of wanted to change things up. But he didn't go into specifics right. beyond that. So it's happening. He didn't say anything negative about it. We just right. yeah. are yeah. still think, in the dark. <laughs> I think there was another, uh, there was an actress that also was interviewed and she was, you know, saying good things about it and was really excited about it and everything. So um, it was, it was one of the new cast members and somebody who wasn't carried over from one of the previous movies um mm. and so yeah so no, nobody has come out and said anything negative about the movie and about the production so um the only thing i can think of is that because it's such a visual effects heavy movie that mm-hmm. they want to make sure that the visual effects are 100 percent done before they put out a trailer because sometimes trailers will come out and the visual effects are not complete Um, even with like Avengers civil war, we had that where the visual effects were not completely done when they put them out, when they put the trailer out. Um, and you can tell looking at the, hold on one second, (laughs) Daisy, come on. That's the podcast cat. She's making noise. (laughs) (laughs) Cats. You gotta love them. Daisy, you want to say hi to everyone? Want to say hi? <laughs> okay. Um yeah, so that's the only thing I can think of is that the visual effects uh might they're waiting till they're done, but um yeah, so I I don't really have anything else to say about the trailer. Just I'm like you. I'm ready for it. I think everybody's yeah. ready for it. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's not that I'm not going to go see it, but just 
give me something, you know, even if it's, if they want to say it's delayed, then let me know. So I can just, I can take a, take a breath and be like, all right, I'm disappointed, but I'm still, at least I'm aware why the trailer is not coming. Just, just some sliver of information would be nice. Just anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was another bit of news that was put out um, recently about the Into the Spider-Verse sequel uh, that Phil Lord, I think it's who, which one it was. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Lord and Miller. Uh, so, but Phil Lord uh, had tweeted out to a fan who had been asking him about the Japanese Spider-Man. And he said that they have a design already made for the Japanese Spider-Man. So people have kind of taken that as... Uh, a confirmation that the Japanese Spider-Man is going to be in the next movie. <laughs> Which would be cool. Oh, yeah. I, and now, I, I'm the kind of person that's like, everyone jumped on this as, it's confirmed, he confirmed it. I'm like, the only thing he confirmed was that they have a design for the character. Right. He didn't confirm 100% that the, the, the character is going to make it into the movie. And even if he confirmed the characters in the movie, there's no telling what role he'll actually have in the movie. They could be trying to pile in as many Spider-Men as they can, much like a Spider-Verse event that they did in the comics. And right. he could just be a background character. You could see, uh, what is his name? The the robot, Leo Pardon? Yeah, Leopardon. Leopardon. Um, you could just see him in the background, and that'd be the... The, the end of the cameo right there. So we don't know. Right. Yeah. But, but as far as the idea of this character being in the movie, even if it is in that small part, I am super excited about, cause I love the Japanese Spider-Man. Mm. It is so bizarre and so weird. And I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, it's combining two things that I love Spider-Man and Kaiju yeah, I mean, exactly. You can't miss, you know, it's just like a perfect marriage of oddities. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I definitely want to uh, cover that series in our uh, reviews at some point. I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to add it to our list because it is something we need to watch and review. And I remember me and Jake, when we did the original version of this show, we did an episode on the Japanese Spider-Man and he had never seen it and he instantly fell in love with it. He is obsessed with it now. I think he's more obsessed with it than I am. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I know he's excited about this. We're, we're all excited to see. And and what's interesting to me is seeing the Japanese Spider-Man and Leopardon interacting with Penny Parker and her Mm. robot I think that now, would be a lot of fun. I, that's a that's a question I want to pose to you right there. Do you think they'll bring back all the original characters? Because um, for me, for me personally, in my this is opinion, just my opinion. Uh-huh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in my opinion, I, I mean, st- still focus on Miles because he's he's your main protagonist. So I want him in the movie. I think we could do without Peter because I feel like at that yeah. point. We've passed the torch on. Miles is Spider-Man, so it needs to be a story. Bring in Gwen because, you know, they, they kind of had a thing if you want, if they want to do that. But yeah. I think it would be fun to do like a rotating gallery of Spider-Man. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and, and, and I think I, I agree with you that that would be 
a lot of fun to you know kind of rotate and have different spider-man characters in this one at the same time this is as much as comic book fans and all of us might not like to hear this this movie is for kids (laughs) and uh they really really hit a home run with those characters that from that first movie people loved them people loved the miles miles morales people loved spider ham and spider gwen and penny parker like they really just hit the mark on all Mm. of them and i cannot imagine being a film executive who's wanting to market this movie and say oh well we're not going to bring back the characters that we had in the first one that everybody loved and everybody resonated with so i just i have to believe that they're going to bring at least some of them back or at least them back in a smaller maybe a smaller role than they were in the first one but at least you know back in some way because i just can't imagine them not bringing those characters back when they resonated so well with audiences um just from a marketing point of view yeah i can i can i can agree with that it just there are so many amazing characters out there in that spider-verse that they could tap the fact that they even did the 2099 at the end i want to see more of that guy you know i love the 2099 spider-man so use him in some way shape or form into that the next film is at least what i'm hoping and it wasn't just some one-off cameo but if you if you have to touch on the other characters sure but I would like to see some other characters utilized in some fashion. If they if they can't do it and make them memorable like they did those characters in the first film, understandable. Then then keep with what you got. But I think it would be fun to introduce right. some new characters and, and play with those as well. And the the thing that I'm looking forward to as well is because the movie is such a visual feast you know they they really spent a lot of time on the visuals and everything and mm-hmm. one of the fun things about the roster of characters that they used in that first movie is that they don't all look exactly the same you know right. the thing with a lot of the spider-man like in you mentioned the comic book event spider-verse or uh spider-geddon the problem with a lot of alternate universe Spider-Men is they all kind of look the same. They have the red and blue suit with like subtle differences and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this movie, they chose ones that stood out visually. You know, you had right. Spider-Man Noir, you had Penny Parker, you had Miles Morales, the ones and and Spider Gwen. These ones that visually were different from each other, and so I think. If they do bring in, like, the Japanese Spider-Man or other versions of Spider-Man, they have to reinterpret them in a way that makes them visually uh, interesting and unique and and different from your regular blue and red Spider-Man. I don't know why this didn't occur to me until just now, but as you were sitting there saying that, making the the case, and I, I, yeah, I completely agree. What if, and again... Like the Marvel comic, what if, what if this movie centers around the villain being Peter Parker, but it's the superior Spider-Man, who, if you don't know, is Doc Ock, who is Spider-Man in Peter Parker's body. Right. Ah, yeah, that way you can bring Peter back and Miles would be confused. I just wrote the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, I liked Superior Spider-Man. I remember when it first came out and a lot of fans were hating on it, but Mm -hmm. it was actually, it turned out really interesting and really good. So if they bring him in as either the main antagonist or as another one of the protagonist characters, Mm -hmm. I'd be all for that. Yes. I am perfectly fine with that. (laughs) I think it would be a smart move. That way you're playing off of Miles' connection to Peter, and he's confused. Why is Peter doing this? He doesn't understand. And then to the casual fan who doesn't understand or know the backstory between that, it's a nice twist. Like, I actually got to watch... I don't know if if you got to experience this or not, but I was curious how this would go down because when uh, the Spider-Man Far From Home came out, Mysterio showed up. Mm -hmm. Everybody who's Mm -hmm. a Spider-Man fan is like, of course Mysterio's a villain. You're just waiting for the pin to drop. You you don't know when it's going to happen, but you know it's going to happen. But my father and I watched these movies together, and he's not aware of some of these things so i i wanted to see if it caught him off guard and as soon as mysterio turned i could see that look on his face is like oh okay yeah and i was like ah yeah so the casual person doesn't quite know these things and it's good as us fans we keep that to ourselves sometimes because i don't want to spoil that for people who don't know and yeah exactly i know i was i was thinking the same thing that uh a lot of my friends are not comic book fans or are casual fans and they don't really know a lot of the characters and so when they kept marketing the movie and they kept showing mysterio kind of as a hero i'm like ooh, just wait just wait mm-hmm. like i know i know it's coming but they didn't know it and they were legitimately shocked by it and so i was like yeah that's that's cool you know mm-hmm. so yeah you get something like that with um with a superior Spider-Man with a uh, evil Doc Ock in the body of Peter Parker. <laughs> and see now if anyone's listening who's not a Spider-Man fan and they've heard this and they're just they're unaware of any of this we spoiled it for them if they go that route. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm true. sorry. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> That's true. We just spoiled it for them. Oh man. But we don't know. Oh. We don't know what the the plot is. It's still 3 years away. We don't know. We're just speculating. But this is not a right. Spider-Man podcast, so let's, uh, Kaiju, what are we talking about? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and and going back to with the Japanese Spider-Man, who, with the giant robots and the giant monsters, um, I think another benefit from having him in that movie is that uh, Toei, the company that, that uh, owns the Japanese Spider-Man license, mm-hmm. uh, might actually start bringing the series over here to the, to America on DVD and Blu-ray, which has never yes. happened before. Uh, so that's something to look forward to, but we can move on from Spider-Man news and move on to Ultraman news. Ultraman. <laughs> so the only thing I have right now, uh, Ultraman is still being released here in the United States uh, on DVD and Blu-ray. You can find it at Walmart's. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it in a lot of places. They're still releasing slowly but surely releasing the series, uh, the different series. But one thing that I found really interesting is that we had a leak earlier in the week of the Ultraman Funko Pops that will be available from Barnes and Noble. Nice. Now, now they were featured on the website and then immediately taken down. But people, of course, screenshotted the internet. Nothing ever disappears on the internet. No, no, never. (laughs) 
But today I was checking my Twitter feed and it was back up there on Barnes and Noble. So it's actually officially released now that the Ultraman pop vinyls are available to purchase or will be available to purchase on bar- from Barnes and Noble. I'm not a Funko like I've got a few, but do you collect Funkos at all? No, I'm not a Funko person either. They've always seemed more kind of like a, a space like waster. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can agree. Yeah. I've got I've got a handful that I, I think I got through um, Loot Crate when I was doing that for a while. And then they mm-hmm. they got terrible. I don't like Loot Crate anymore. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I've got a few. And then, of course, some have gifted me certain ones that are unique. Like, I've got a, an Alien one. And then, of course, obviously, I've got a Godzilla oh, wow. one. Um, yeah. I don't have a Kong one, which you'd think I would. But I don't have that. So, I'm going to have to rectify yeah, the, that. Yeah, the Godzilla one is probably the only one that I would be interested in owning. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big pop vinyl person. Um, they are neat. I, I I understand the appeal of them, but at the same time, I'm just not, they're not for me. Um, but I do want to read out the ones I have a list here of the ones that are featured on Barnes and Noble, Mm -hmm. uh, for sale. So you have of the different Ultramans, because if anybody who's not aware, since Ultraman hasn't really made it big in the United States yet, um, if you're not aware, Ultraman, the character, changes with each season it's kind of like if you know anything about power rangers how each season kind of starts a new Mm -hmm. a new generation of kids a new generation of powers and stuff and they kind of reinvent uh the character each season um or like doctor who how they regenerate you know and you have a new doctor who so the the three ultramen that are going to be available are ultraman jack uh, Ultraman Ace and Father of Ultra. Those are the three Ultramen that are going to be available. And then you're going to have, right now, they only have two monsters or two aliens uh, that are going to be in the series. Uh, mm-hmm. Conagon and Balton. Now, I'm not as familiar with Conagon. Um I haven't really watched a lot of the series, mm-hmm. but I definitely know Balton. Balton or Baltan yeah. is an awesome monster that uh, Ultraman has been fighting since very early on in his series. Right. Like the the most exposure that I think I ever had to Ultraman was there was a Super Nintendo game that came out that was just Ultraman. And it was essentially a beat em up fighter game you would it was just level after level of fighting a monster and that's the only exposure to Ultraman that I had as a kid over time I've I've been exposed to it slightly but not not like this like now we can actually go get the series and really be exposed to it so I'm kind of like you it's right. just like I'm vaguely familiar with these characters yeah yeah that's and I'm I'm gonna uh, since all the series are coming out and everything, now is the perfect time for me to really bone up on my Ultraman. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so that's that's the Ultraman news. Um, the only other news that I wanted to talk about we we didn't have anything significant come from 
the Godzilla 65th anniversary celebration that they did in Japan. Um, it was it looked like a lot of fun, and they had a lot of uh, special celebrations that they did over there. But nothing as far as news or significance uh, came from that, from what I can tell. No. But do you have anything that that you saw? from that Godzilla festival, the, the 65th anniversary? I really didn't, and that was kind of disappointing because, again, this was the prime opportunity. They could have dropped that trailer. They could have announced something huge, even if it was a new Godzilla yeah. flick in Japan, which would have been awesome, but they really didn't. Right. I mean, it was just kind of, I mean, kudos to Godzilla for hitting 65, but it was just it's kind of yeah. meh. Yeah, and one of the things that stuck out to me, the only thing that really stuck out to me was um, they... I think it was last year or a year before they recreated the 1954 Gojira suit, mm -hmm. the Subaraya original suit, um, because they were doing a short film for, I think it was for a museum that they were going to play that short film at this museum. Mm -hmm. And so they brought that suit out and because these rubber suits from these tokusatsu movies do not last forever they do degrade over time right we don't really have the original gojira suit so the closest thing you can get to seeing the original design that subaraya made is this one that they recreated for that short film mm -hmm. so uh that was kind of interesting to me cuz yeah. it's like oh you get to see cuz they they did a they did it a really good job of trying to recreate exactly how that suit looked in that original movie. And right. it, it is, it's really good. So that's the only thing that really came out of it that I thought was interesting. It was pretty interesting to see it. I do remember seeing a video of it kind of stomping around, just kind of walking through, I'm, I'm guessing the show floor, wherever they had that uh, festival, but yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was, pretty interesting just to, to actually witness it in motion and i guess it never really occurred to me i was like yeah i guess you know i'm sure they didn't recreate it to the number because i've heard horror stories about that suit but still the the look right. of it and all yeah absolutely right spot on yeah it seems less likely to kill the person wearing it than the original one right <laughs> <laughs> um and also uh, another thing that, that stuck out to me was um, Toho opened their doors to people to take a tour of the studio. And uh, along with that, they showed a lot of the old suits and stuff that still exist. They're still around. And they showed like the GMK, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Godzilla suit. Nice. They showed, I think it was Godzilla 2000 or... It might have even been Final Wars, one of those suits mm. that was still available. They had a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of the models and everything. Um, and they had the, for me personally, because he's my guy, Baragon. Yeah. <laughs> they ha they showed Baragon. They had the, one, the um, Godzilla Final Wars version of Baragon up on display when you went into the studio and was going through the tour and stuff. So it's like, yes. Justice for Baragon. Hashtag. I'm gonna I'm gonna make your day. I don't know if you've ever looked through uh on my other podcast, Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo, I did an episode one time where I wanted to talk about Godzilla games because I felt like they got the short shrift on a lot of 
tie you know, reviews uh-huh. and everything because a lot of people say well they're terrible and whatnot but as a fan i love them you know because i yeah. can appreciate what they're doing so for every episode that i do i design a unique icon and it kind of showcases whatever we're talking about whatever big headliner we're doing that week and for that week, I did a, a Godzilla collage. So you see Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla fighting in the middle of a uh, whatever background I had it in in Japan. And for Baragon, he did. I don't know if you remember the, that he was in uh, the an NES game, Godzilla Monster of Monsters. It's like they crammed right, in every uh-huh. kaiju in there. He did this. Yeah. He did this thing, and I don't know why they did this in the game, but I always found it amusing. Is he would be sitting there, and he'd just kind of turn away from the camera, and then he'd turn at the camera and just look at it, and he had like this little smile on his face, like it was a goofy little look on his face, and it always amused yes. me. And I don't know why he did it, but I always loved it. Oh my goodness, I love. I don't know why I am so obsessed with Baragon now. I guess because, like I said in the first episode, I feel like he's kind of the underdog or the he's he's kind of like the redheaded stepchild yeah. that a lot of people, a lot of them, don't really give the respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. Although there are monsters who get a lot less respect. Yeah, sure. And a lot. Yeah, so Baragon's not getting the short shaft necessarily at the extreme that. I make it sound, but I still hashtag justice for Baragon. Yeah. I love him. <laughs> but I actually stuck his uh, little goofy staring face in the bottom right hand corner of that icon, and I don't know if anyone's oh, ever wow. caught it, but I was just like, I'm gonna stick that right there, just just because, because I love that face. I'm gonna have to go back through and look at that now. Yeah, it's on our <laughs> Instagram page. Just thumb through it, you'll find Godzilla, and then you'll you'll be able to spot little Baragon, his little his little smile. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I've been trying to keep up with uh, Super Maker Crash Brothers, but uh, um, I haven't been able to go back through the old back catalog as much as I would like. Don't go back too so. far because I feel like they, they, you know, they've only gotten better over time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I understand that. <laughs> All right. So um, the only other news item that I don't even know if we should even talk about on this on this podcast because I don't know if it qualifies. Okay. But... We had a trailer come out. Mm-hmm. It's not the trailer we were waiting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we had a trailer for a movie called The Color Out of Space. I didn't catch that one. And it's based on a H.P. Lovecraft story. Okay. And it's starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, boy. Did, <laughs> did, did you get a chance to see this trailer? I didn't. I'm going to have to look that up now. Now, the only reason that I think it might qualify, they didn't show any giant monsters in the movie, but the original story, I looked it up, I did some research, it, the, there are mutants in the story. Um, The alien artifact that kind of kicks off the whole story, the main story and the main plot line, mutates everything around it, and so... We have the potential for these mutant animals and mutant creatures, kind of like with the movie Annihilation, right? That had um, Natalie Portman in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you can have these kind of mutant animals and stuff. So there's the potential for giant monsters or for a large creature of some kind, but in the trailer, 
they didn't show any giant monsters. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know if I don't know if it qualifies for this podcast or not. But you know, it's a slow news week, so let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it it could, it has potential to, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it looks interesting. Nicholas Cage, I I still he. I, I can't take him seriously no, anymore. No, it's, it's hard. It really is. <laughs> yeah, and I just think I'm like, man, this movie looks crazy and fantastic, but Nicolas Cage just sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> well, he, he, he's gotten into this point where a lot of the movies that he's in, they're just, their quality is so questionable, to say the least. I mean, it's... Uh, Right. It, it makes me hesitant to want to see it because you wonder if it's actually going to be worth the time. I mean, you see H.P. Lovecraft and you're like, okay, you've got my attention. You see Nicolas Cage and he's like, yeah, but you just kind of lost it a little bit. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, for listeners who may not be aware of H.P. Lovecraft, he was a science fiction writer who wrote, uh, who most famous for like, creating Cthulhu, mm-hmm. which was a giant old god that was this giant alien that lived under the oceans and could drive people mad and was worshipped as a god and had a big squid face and stuff. Um, so that's that's another reason why I think that it might fit into this podcast, because if it's a story based on H.P. Lovecraft, it might have those giant alien monsters in it. Mm-hmm. You never know, because uh, he, didn't, he didn't only write stories about giant monsters, but they're definitely part of his style of sci-fi, so they could appear. Right. Um, so we will see. But it was a it was an interesting trailer. The trailer actually did make the movie look really good. It's just Nicolas Cage just kind of sticks out. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely so, give it a look. What was it called again? Uh, the color out of space. Color out of space. All right. I'll I'll as soon as we're done, I'll go take a look at it. All right. Um. So we'll keep everybody up to date on that one. Sure. All right. Well, let's move on to the main topic for today. Now, we had started last week doing a trivia question that would hint to the following movie that we're going to discuss. So last week I asked a trivia question, which Ray Harryhausen movie is cited as being the direct inspiration for Godzilla or the original Gojira uh, and... That movie is The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Now, I did say I would shout out some people who answered the question. We did have somebody who reached out with an answer. It is Al from the San Dimas School of Film, which is uh, a podcast that is bill and ted theme nice but they also they re- they review other movies. I just started listening to them. They are hilarious. This is a really good podcast, and it seems weird for us to be talking about a podcast that has 70-something episodes, and we're only on our third episode, Mm -hmm. and being like, hey, go listen to it. But they are hilarious, and they deserve to have listeners. So if we can have any kind of part in adding listeners to them, it's hilarious, because the entire premise of their podcast is it's Bill and Ted themed. They review movies, but they use the time machine from Bill and Ted to travel back to the year that the movie came out and then review it in the year that they, that it came out. That is fantastic. I love that. 
it is it is such a unique idea that I was like, man, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> there is a it's uh, there's a a podcast. It, it, not to say that they're doing the same thing, but it reminds me of this one that this is actually one of the very first podcasts I ever listened to, and th- it wasn't something they did initially, but it's something they eventually mm-hmm. uh, got into doing. But it's called the Hail Ming Power Hour, and okay. they're all about old cheesy flicks of uh, you know from uh-huh. way back when. Obviously, Flash Gordon is the uh, the antithesis of their podcast, but they they started doing this. Uh, I don't really. It's kind of like a time machine, but they, I think they call it a time chicken. <laughs> like there's a chicken <laughs> that they use to travel back in time or something like that, and then they'll go back and then kind of like what you said, they review the movie through that that spectrum, and it's it's amusing how they do it. So I'm I'm eager to see what the the Sandemus cats do with it. Yes. Because uh, yeah, I do love the school of film. Yeah, I, I love that idea. Yeah. And so Al, who's one of the hosts on that show, had uh, messaged in saying uh, that he thought the answer was Clash of the Titans. Um, sorry, that's wrong. <laughs> but we still give you a shout out anyway, mm-hmm. because sure. uh, you were the only person who answered. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but also, you know, Clash of the Titans that came out in the 80s. It's a Ray Harryhausen film, so you're not very far off, but right. uh, the movie we are talking about today is Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. It was mm-hmm. directed by, it's from 1953, and it's directed by Eugene Laurie, or Eugene Lore. It's mm-hmm. starring Paul Hubschmid. Hubschmid. <laughs> Hubschmid. That sounds right. Hubschmid. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to say that, but um, also Paul, uh, Paula Raymond. Cecil Calloway and Kenneth Toby are the main cast of the of the movie. So now, uh, do you want to do the quick plot breakdown of the movie? Sure. I mean, and being that this is a direct inspiration to Godzilla in a in a manner of speaking, uh, somewhere in the Arctic Circle, they were doing nuclear nuclear. I said nuclear nuclear. I'm gonna try that again. <laughs> nuclear. It's it's hard being in the South. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> we got that we got that twang going, man. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Nu- nuclear bomb tests. Uh, that for some reason they dubbed Operation Experiment, which is really uh, unique. <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> They're testing bombs. They they set off a bomb in the Arctic Circle, and what does it do? It releases a long thought dead dinosaur known as the retosaurus and it comes out it's been in suspended animation for millions of years and it gets loose and decides to make its way to new york where supposedly they had found the or no they did find the fossil of a another retosaurus years ago in the trenches somewhere in new york so they're under the assumption that it's just making its way home if you will uh to wherever they found that that one fossil and then of course they got to stop it because it's a giant monster and that's what you do in these movies right yep and it and it rampages through new york you see it going through Times square through uh different areas uh comes up out of the water right by the brooklyn bridge and Mm -hmm. destroys coney island (laughs) yeah yeah it goes on uh quite a rampage 
Yeah, and this movie, we, we mentioned at the top that this movie is a Ray Harryhausen movie, but then I didn't even mention Ray Harryhausen when I was listing out the people involved in making the movie. Uh, Ray Harryhausen did the special effects or the creature design and the technical effects is what they uh, listed him as mm-hmm. for this. He is, for anybody who's not aware, Ray Harryhausen is the godfather of all special effects that we have in film nowadays. He created so many unique characters and he he was a stop motion animation guy. So he you know, all of his monsters were using were made using stop motion, but his films inspired people like Tom Hanks, people like James Cameron, people like Steven Spielberg. Peter Jackson, Guillermo del Toro, so many of the modern day films that we have are directly influenced by Ray Harryhausen and his style of special effects. And I think Mm. it's, there's no real way to explain the impact that he had on filmmaking. And if if I I may uh, kind of, just to kind of touch on what you're you're saying here yeah for i guess to to kind of clarify because i've heard this this um misinformation passed around that Harryhausen was responsible for King Kong because you see stop motion and you're just like oh yeah he's the King Kong guy because of stop motion right no he had nothing to do with that however Willis O'Brien the guy that did King Kong he was kind of like the inventor of the stop motion practice ray harryhausen just came in and refined it yeah and did it so much better oh yeah. not to say not to say that what willis o'brien did in king kong was bad but harryhausen turned it into a craft right i mean this movie i i, I don't even i can't even express it in words it, it's just amazing how well it works yeah you know, and even and here it's just so perfect. Yeah, and even in a modern context, like you're watching from uh, from the year 2019, and you're watching these movies, and they're just as engaging as any modern day movie because those yeah. characters that Ray Harryhausen created really have personality. They had life, and there was something to them that even even though they came out in the fifties and sixties and, you know, and everything there's, they're just as engaging as anything that we have nowadays. Uh, and you mentioned even more so. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, especially if you look at certain CGI characters, I mean, how terrible they, they are, how cheaply made they are. But then you take a look at what they did with the budget that they had at the time. I mean, it's, Far and away, I could I would take his stop motion over some of the CGI crap that I see on on movies nowadays any day of the week. Yeah, because it's yeah uh, much more believable. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, you mentioned Willis O'Brien. Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen actually became friends uh, in the process mm-hmm. of making films. So they kind of uh, helped each other out. Even though Willis O'Brien was older and had already been working in the film industry. <clears throat> but they actually yeah. in fact they well i was just gonna say they actually worked on uh harry Housen's first film mighty joe young right and, that, and that's where they kind of met yeah and i think that's where the confusion of ray harry Housen doing uh 
King Kong comes from because you see Mighty Joe sure, Young yeah. and you think, well, you know, big gorilla, big gorilla. But Mighty Joe Young was actually the movie that he worked on and created with the help of Willis O'Brien, who had done the original King Kong from 1933. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. But yeah, so many movies. Uh, I mean, just listing out the movies that were inspired by him. The original, we talked about uh, in the, the trivia question, the original Godzilla idea was to use stop motion. They did not plan on putting a man in a rubber suit. They planned on doing stop motion. Mm-hmm. But it was going to take too long. It was going to be too much work. And so they said, well, we can do suitmation a lot easier. And so they went with that. And then, of course, the entire tokusatsu genre of movies was spawned from that. And it's its own thing. But just to show that originally they were planning on doing stop motion for Godzilla in the original 1993 uh, Jurassic Park. They were planning on doing stop motion for those dinosaurs. That's right. That's right. And they ended up using CG and using computer graphics because the computer graphics looked decent enough. And so Steven Spielberg went with that. But because computer generation was still new, they actually had to still use stop motion models to kind of figure out the movements of the dinosaurs and everything to be able to input them into the computer. So they still ended mm-hmm. up using stop motion models, but they, they definitely, you know, they went with a CG design for them. So, the, you know, you see that Harryhausen style of filmmaking that was influenced on, you know, movies down the line. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, enough gushing about Ray Harryhausen. Let's actually talk about the movie that we're supposed to talk about, which was not his very first one, but one of his early works, uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. It's The name of this movie actually comes from a Ray Bradbury story. And from mm-hmm. what I can tell in my research, they were inspired by the Ray Bradbury story, to, and they put the scene in where a dinosaur attacks a lighthouse. And... When Ray Bradbury mentioned, hey, this is kind of similar to my story, they sent him a check and said, hey, can we buy your story? And so they took the story and it's like, hey, we did it. So I don't know how much of this movie is actually inspired by his story, but it's just kind of a funny thing. Um, from from what I heard, I mean, just kind of based off of your research from from the bits that I got, it was it was just the lighthouse bit, like it was a short story right. ar- around the lighthouse. So that was essentially the basis of his story, and then they just kind of wrote something and, and kind of worked around that. And then I think his story was the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms at the time, and then after they released the movie as such, like an adaptation of that. Mm-hmm. He went back and renamed the short story, the Foghorn. Right. So there wasn't, wouldn't be some sort of connection like that. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely an interesting little tidbit. Um, so what are your thoughts on this movie? Well, I'm going to admit something that uh, may shock uh, some people, but this was actually my first time watching it. Oh, this wow. Week. Like it was a, like I was aware of it, uh-huh. but I had never taken that opportunity to sit and watch it. 
And I don't think it was because I didn't have any interest. It was just one of those like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And then just never did. Right. So this kind of prompted me to say, okay, I've got a reason to. I want to, I really want to watch this and, and, and take it in and all that. It It's amazing, especially when you hear that it's, that Godzilla kind of was inspired by this, how much it kind of, at least, at least from the beginning of the film, really inspires what that is. Now, granted, Gojira, if you want to stick more to the Japanese version of it, mm-hmm really takes it into a very, very personal level. Something that this does not, because right. they, there is no personal connection to be made with the nu- nuclear bombs going off and being tested and so on and so forth. So I, I get that there's you really can't have that connection. But for for what it is, there are a lot of things that I can enjoy about it, going back to, to Harryhausen, and, and a lot of the work that he did, I'd say that's the most enjoyable part. Beyond that, I feel like the story is just kind of it's lacking in certain departments because there's really not yeah. a lot to do. And I think that's a, a problem with a lot of these monster movies back then is there's, what do you do? The monster gets out and then it rampages and in the end. And right. that's essentially all they really go for. And I think maybe that's why I lean toward the kaiju films in Japan more because... They don't just say, "Well, it's a monster and it's rampaging." They they find ways to engage with the audience in some way, shape, or form, even if it's with political messages or satire. Right. Yeah, and I can I can agree with that. Um, I definitely think I, I do lean more towards the Japanese ones too for that same reason. They they kind of have a unique way of telling the story that. And, and the fact that the monsters kind of evolve, you know, one of the things about mm-hmm. the uh, American monster movies that you don't see a lot, or, or one thing about the Japanese monster movies that you don't see a lot in the American ones is the creature returning. You know, the, a lot right. of giant monster movies in America are one-off stories, and so you don't mm-hmm. have that room for growth and evolution of the character like you do for Godzilla, like we talked about in our first episode godzilla kind of went from being this monster that needed to be stopped to now he's kind of a hero that is there to protect earth and protect humanity and so in a lot of the american monster movies you're not going to get that evolution um i also think that something's really interesting and, and i know it's not necessarily fair to compare the two movies because they are like you said, they are different. One inspired the other. Mm-hmm. But when you look at this movie in comparison to Gojira, you can definitely see the difference in the culture and how their our cultures view nuclear radiation and nuclear testing. Because, yes. mm-hmm. of course, the nuclear testing is what woke up the monster. But it's also the nuclear testing that ends up stopping the monster in the end. Right. And we have a lot of superheroes here in America that are radiation-based. We have the Incredible Hulk. We have Spider-Man. We have, you know, the Fantastic Four. All of them got their powers from radio radiation and radioactive uh, things. In Japan, when you look at Gojira, the radiation woke up Godzilla, the radio, the radioactive testing... But then 
the radiation actually becomes a threat in itself. And you see mm -hmm. the radiation that uh, woke up Godzilla also being a force that they have to deal with. And you see the devastation that that has on the cities, on the people and things. And so you see those two sides of these nuclear testing. And in, I mean, of course, why is there a difference in that? It's almost like something very significant happened in history that uh, hmm. changes our viewpoints on those things. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> yeah, so I just, hmm. I thought that was something I wanted to highlight how in this movie, even though the nuclear testing was the thing that woke up the monster, it still ended up being the thing that saves the day. Whereas in Godzilla, yeah. it's, it's, or Gojira, it is not. It is something to be feared and something to be afraid of. And, and it really captures the anxiety that people had about nuclear fallout at that time period. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fact that it took a radioactive isotope to take this thing down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just it was it really did. You're just kind of thinking about it going, that's what we're doing? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. I know. It's it was it was weird. It's weird, but you know, mm -hmm. it's also 1950s. Their understanding of, you know, what radiation is and everything is kind of like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um So, let's do let's do best and worst bits from the movie. Which do you want to start with? You want to start with your worst? Or least favorite parts, uh, or your favorite parts. I mean, I guess we can we could go through the the best parts because I really don't know if I could break it out into so many because it really comes down to the Redosaurus and and what Harryhausen did. That's that's really the 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 best part of this movie is every time it's on screen, every time you get to see it moving, being destructive or whatever, just being alive. Oh yeah, in Harryhausen fashion, it's just remarkable i mean really really remarkable i think uh, as i was kind of watching it trying to, to pinpoint like when it really hit me it was of all scenes ironically the, the lighthouse scene mm -hmm. how fluid and alive it seemed and i never took for a moment looked at it and said man that's fake you know how many times i hear that and it, it bugs that it just bugs me so bad when people want to just criticize special right. effects, practical effects, but how it moved, how fluid it was, how alive it seemed. It, I don't really know what I could say to really give it any kind of justice. You just have to see it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I'm right there with you. All of my favorite parts are the monster or the creature attacking the city um anytime he's on screen like you said i definitely like you said the lighthouse scene that lighthouse scene is so fantastic but i also really enjoy the stomping through new york the new york rampage mm -hmm. the compositing yeah. in those scenes which is something that the style the way that ray harryhausen did to make the live action parts of the scene interact with the stop motion parts of the scene is so interesting and and if you look at there's there's documentary there's a documentary on amazon that uh goes into what he did and how he 
created those shots, but the compositing shots shots are almost flawless, even by today's yeah, standards. Yeah. And I think they're just, I think they're excellent. And that's definitely some of my favorite parts too. Um, one thing that I do want to highlight here for me personally, that separates this movie out from even some of Ray Harryhausen's other films is I actually like the human characters in this movie, or at least the mm-hmm. main two, the main man and woman in this movie the lead actor and lead actress. Yeah. They actually had some personality to them that I actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed anytime they were on screen. They mm-hmm. were engaging, they were um compelling and I liked it. Whereas when we get to it later, it came from beneath the sea and some of the other uh giant monster movies. The humans are not interesting and I'm just like please just go away. I just want to see the monster. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so i, I just uh, yeah. i wanted to highlight that too because i think that's something that's kind of sets this movie apart from some of the other uh giant monster movies so um mm-hmm. do you have any other favorite parts before we move on to least favorite i i really can't think of anything beyond that it's just it really comes down to to the monster itself it's just it's a fascinating piece of uh special effects i guess it, you'd call it but no, as far as uh, anything positive that I have left, no, I'm I'm ready to go into the negative. Not to say that I got a lot of negative. I'm just saying that I feel like the, yeah. the positive is just that one thing that I could really hone in on. And then everything else is kind of like, yeah, it's there. Yeah. And I, I feel like if we if we stay in positives for too long, we're just going to kind of be repeating ourselves because it is just yeah. it, the monster, the monster in this yeah. movie is the best part of it and Ray Harryhausen's design and his style of doing it. And, and you can definitely see me as a fan of Ray Harryhausen's work. I've watched, you know, a lot of his movies later on, even down to, you know, clash of the Titans. You can definitely see the refinement in his work and that this is definitely an early work of his, but even though it's one of, even though it's kind of early in his career, it's still far better than anything that, you know, people were doing at the time and yeah. really just stands out. So, and so, yeah, like I said, we're going to go in circles if we keep staying on the positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so least favorite parts, what, what do you not like about this movie or what was your least favorite parts of this movie? Well, I guess it would kind of contradict something that you just said about your favorites. And I would say the characters, and I don't mean necessarily the, the two main characters, they were engaging and they did help kind of keep the the pace of the movie going and, and it kept it engaging. But there mm-hmm. were, I guess it was, it was things of the time because right. it's a very 1950s movie. And the, the way the man and the woman kind of interact or even the woman with any man interacted, it was always like she was second fiddle. And, you know, we've kind of gotten used to this thing where the woman is equal to the man, but you kind of get that sense in this movie that she's like, uh, you're a woman. Ah, I'm gonna, yeah, you, you go over there and you do that thing. And she was, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but she was awful kissy. Yes. You know, <laughs> I, I definitely mean, she, noticed she, that. She smooched that, uh, 
that one professor like right on the lips before he went down. I was like, wow, I did. Are they an item or is she just that affectionate? I mean, my goodness. I know I'm watching so, it. And then she turns around and kisses the love interest on the cheek. And yeah. it's like, um, huh. But it's I like think that's, that's also a product of the time period. I think that right. if you had somebody that was like a father figure to you, it wasn't necessarily considered that unusual to to give him a kiss like that. But yeah, from yeah. a modern day standpoint, it's kind of like, ah, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> and then you had, who was that other guy? There was a, a, there was a general. It's like after they had kind of proven to... I guess a beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Redosaurus was real, and they had to get military engagement. They they spoke to the one uh, colonel, and he was supposed to go to one of his military superiors or equals or whatever, and they were trying to get someone to go investigate. That guy was so 1950s, it wasn't even funny. He's like, hey, are you right. pulling my leg? Are you on the level here? Yeah. Are you just jerking my chain? And I was like, all right. <laughs> oh, man. I loved it, though. I mean, that I, I love that. Oh, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. But I definitely, yeah, I'm with you. The When I say that I like the characters, I definitely, I like the two main characters. And, and I agree mm. with you completely and wholeheartedly. The female character in this is definitely just there. She's not serving mm. a purpose. She's not really contributing anything to the story. She's just there. But... Yeah. When her interactions with that, you know, like, and you're right, it is very 1950s, and so it is of its time, but it is very engaging, and I felt for them. I kind of like was rooting for them. I wanted them to mm-hmm. to succeed in whatever they were doing. The rest of the characters, the the professor, the general, the whatever other characters. I they were so bland and like you said so 1950s camp and cheese mm-hmm. that it's like I don't care about them but those those two main characters I definitely think they succeeded in in a modern context it's of its time it's dated but if you take it from the time period that it's in I think it stands out as something that even, you know, a lot of other giant monster movies didn't do very well, which was make the two main characters interesting. Right, right. Um, one of my least favorite moments in this was the underwater scenes. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy the underwater scenes. Um, I did not enjoy... There was a scene where it's... I guess it's supposed to be a giant octopus fighting a giant shark... Yes. Mm-hmm. And it stuck at when you have Ray Harryhausen's beautiful creature design and his style of of doing these these monsters and these living animals and stuff. And then you throw in these real life animals and kind of supercut them into the movie. It just mm-hmm. seems so bizarre and so poorly done and so bad and i i did not enjoy those underwater scenes like i was i was oddly fascinated with it to a point like when they were showing it and you saw okay we're we're trying to take in some of the actual wildlife and so on and so forth but then it was just a constant shot of this shark trying to gnaw on this octopus it was like all right i i think we got it he's he's got the the octopus i think they were trying to fill time because it it went on a lot longer than it probably should have yeah 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, it definitely went on way too long, and it just was not. And as a person who loves animals, it's so obvious you can see that that shark is a baby shark, not full size, and so mm-hmm. it just doesn't. Nothing about it really comes off as good to me. Like I, I wish I could just cut that scene completely out of the movie, and then I would be a lot more satisfied with the movie than than what I am. Um, I also did not like, well, we talked about the characters. I didn't like the, um, I didn't like the early scenes in the Arctic and I get what they were doing. They were kind of like, you know, slowly revealing the creature, right? but I really didn't like those scenes. I, they just didn't appeal to me. There's something about the way the actors, hammed it up i guess and the way that it was done that i just didn't enjoy that um i get it it was set up it's set up for the rest of the movie but it's kind of like you know i just kind of want to jump right to the point where it's you know where the monster is making it to new york (laughs) yeah and i think even at that time i think you could have gotten away with trimming some of the fat from this movie considering i think it was only an hour and 20 minutes long and there were movies prior to that that had had been slightly shorter i know they wanted to probably try to meet some sort of right uh, time because i mean even today it's like it's gotten out of hand where everything has to be two hours or two and a half and then it's a movie and it's like no not everything needs to be that long and i think we could still appreciate this movie if you cut 10 minutes out of it just trying to speed up the process i think people would probably enjoy it a little bit more yeah yeah, I definitely, definitely. So I, I think that's pretty much the only negatives I have is that there was a lot of scenes that could have been trimmed out or cut down that just didn't really, that just seemed to stretch out for too long. And I think that's mm-hmm. also, like you said, and you were kind of uh, talking about, that's a product of the time period of the way they make films. They kind of like, right. they did stretch scenes out and drag things out a little bit more because like, you know, there were they were trying to fill in time and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that that's really my only negatives about this movie. Was there any other uh, negatives that you wanted to bring up? No, I think I kind of touched on uh, all mine that I, I jotted down. So I think we're good. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we can move on to fun facts. So uh, let's talk about some of the fun facts about this movie. Uh, do you have okay. any fun facts you want to share? Well, let's see. What do I have here? Uh, Well, since we kind of talked about that shark octopus scene, uh, there was a a trivia fact that said if you pay close attention, you can tell that they were in an aquarium. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But they said that uh, you can see the octopus. uh, Its suckers are on the glass. Mm -hmm. Somehow I overlooked that. Yeah, there is a scene when the octopus is uh, trying to get away from the shark, and you can actually see it press up against the glass <laughs> of the aquarium. Yes. So that I kind of want to go back and, and watch that scene again just to see if I can spot that out of curiosity's sake. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found when I was doing my... Uh, doing research on some fun facts that dinosaur skeleton that's in the scene with the professor at the museum is actually uh was already pre-made and uh warner brothers had it on their lot it's actually from the movie bringing up baby which is a Mm -hmm. Cary grant and katherine hepburn movie 
and so it was featured in that. They had it already made, so they decided to throw it into this movie as part of the set dressing. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to throw this one out because, again, this is another one of those that... Wish I'd have, I wish I'd have paid attention a little bit closer because I missed this. I don't know if any of you out there remember Dukes of Hazard, uh, you know the old TV show. Some of you, I would hope that if any of you listening would remember that show. But the sheriff, Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane, uh, was a popular character in the show. Apparently, the man who played that character in the show, James Best, was in the movie, and he had the first. I guess first official character line past the narrator at the beginning, which, you know what, now that I think about it, I'm going to add that to things I didn't like. That narration at the beginning was. Uh... Yeah, exactly. I It, it was like, it was <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah. It and, was so bad. I forgot just, about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, other than just project uh, experiment. <laughs> Yeah, I was just what like, come on. That? Project experiment. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> but I laugh yeah, every it's... time I hear it because it's like, it's just so stupid. Um, it's like that's but... the best you could come up with, really? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, James Best, he was the first character named Charlie. I think it was the character's name in the movie to speak. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I missed him. I blinked, I, apparently, so I didn't catch him. But he's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, if I did too. I missed character. him. Yeah, I missed him too. But yeah, he's he's right there at the beginning of the movie um, when he spots the the monster on the radar. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's really interesting. Um, looking at uh, IMDb, one of the trivia facts they have on there is about the Coney Island amusement park that was in the film. Yeah, is actually the Long Beach amusement park that's in California, and so they were able to film at that park overnight which they were not Mm -hmm. able to do at coney island and so it allowed them to get the shots that they needed for the nighttime effects of you know the monster rampaging so when you see the amusement park there it's actually not coney island um but it's meant to be coney island in the movie Mm -hmm. unless the the monster teleported from new york to california (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um, uh, another one that i've got as far as actors go i found this to be quite interesting because you hear some of these bits and you think well why weren't they you know showcased a little bit more but it might have been before they were really popular but uh if you actually watch the trailer of the film which i haven't done but maybe i need to go do uh you can actually see Vera Miles, who was one of the uh, main characters in the movie Psycho, mm-hmm. she was in the trailer, but she was not in the movie. And right. same goes for uh, personality Merv Griffin, who's, I mean, if you know him from anything, you've seen his name at the end of it, almost every game show imaginable. It's a right. Merv Griffin Enterprises, whatever from Price is Right to Jeopardy. I'm probably leaving out a whole bunch, but... He was he was a TV personality. Uh, yeah. He was apparently the radio uh, announcer or the the guy over the radio talking through New York, if if I remember hearing that correctly. Uh, right. But he was uncredited, so they were in the movie, just didn't know who they yeah. were. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was like, Murph Griffin wasn't he the one that did the radio 
voice yeah. because he kind of has a unique voice because he back in the day he did all of the kind of announcing and talking over like the mm-hmm. uh, narration for jeopardy for wheel of fortune for any of those so you know people who have seen those game shows will recognize his voice <laughs> right well this isn't really a fact this is just something that was gnawing at me the entire time i was watching it is the producer of this film is jack deets and I swear yeah. I know something about that man. Like, I, when I saw his name, I was like, do I know something about that? And I did some research, and maybe it was just something casual off to the side, like he had gotten busted for embezzlement or something. I can't remember mm-hmm. all the details, but I feel like there's more to his story that I'm going to have to share in a later episode <laughs> when I find out what I know, because I feel like I heard something shady about this yeah. guy. But I can't remember what it was. And this is one of his, I don't want to say it was his last film, but it was one of the, the last few that he ever produced in his lifetime. Huh. Yeah. But I cannot I, I remember what he did. I feel like he did something really, really shady. <laughs> Unless I'm getting him. <laughs> he just has that that aura about him. <laughs> yeah. Like name like Deets. Uh, yeah. Well, something too. One one last fun fact from me. Um, Eugene Laurie or Eugene Laurie. Um, mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce the director's name um fans of giant monster movies will recognize his name because he went on to do other films including gorgo which we That's are right. going to talk about <laughs> in mm-hmm. a future episode yeah and when we get to gorgo we'll talk a little bit more about this but uh just as a little quick uh thing eugene Loray's daughter was not happy with the monster dying at the end of this movie. <laughs> she was really? so, yeah, she was so sad. She was young and she was so sad when the monster died. And so when he went on to do Gorgo, anybody who's seen Gorgo knows they don't kill the monster in that one. It survives mm-hmm. and goes off and lives its life and goes back to its home and has a happy ending. And so, the reason why that one has a happy ending was because his daughter was so upset with him for killing the monster in this movie. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's a little tidbit, but all right. So now we're just going to give our quick ratings. Now, anybody who's not aware, we started it in our last episode. Our rating system is out of five Godzukis, which is uh, Godzilla's little nephew from the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla cartoon. Uh, so, out of five Godzukis, how many would you give this movie? Uh, you see, it's really difficult to want to give this. I can't, I can't in good conscience give it anything really high, but at the same time, I right. can't really give it anything too low because it's not a bad movie by any means. But there are right. elements to it that that kind of keep it pacing a little sluggish or everything but at the same time i want to i would love to recommend this if if you love harryhausen and what he does he he does such a great job here it's it's like it it's him at his finest and he's only going to get better and that's mm-hmm. that's the the greatest thing about it is like you're saying if he can get better from this my god what can he do but right i feel like i'm going to have to just give it an even i, I say an even uh, a split down the middle, a three, because yeah. Harryhausen's work really helps elevate it 
But beyond that, the story is is very simple. It, it slogs at times, and it's. I'm not going to say that I didn't check out a time or two, and then when the Redosaurus came back, I was like, oh, oh, I'm back. So I'll give it a three. Yeah. Harryhausen really yeah. elevates the the material. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Um, I I agree with that. I would give it three and a half Godzukis for okay. me personally. Just and that extra half Godzuki is just because I guess. Uh, for the time period, I think this is, and like you said, I definitely think this is a good movie. I highly recommend people watch it. If you're a fan of giant monster movies, if you're a fan of special effects, if you're a fan of film history, it is an important film to watch. But mm-hmm. it is, it is, there are elements in it that are very dated. And from a 2019 perspective, it's very hard to give it anything higher than a three or a three and a half. Right. So I'm going to go with, with three and a half Godzukis on my end. Fair enough. All right. So now let's move into the final segment of our podcast, the mailbag. Let's dive into our mailbag and see if anybody has sent in anything that we can read out. What do we have in the mailbag? All right. So I have a couple of things. Um in our mailbag first off we had a message from someone uh in response to our first episode uh when we were talking about ridley which we called him ripley in the episode but ridley from metroid in the metroid series of games Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. we mentioned how he is classified as a spice uh spice uh spice there's my southern roots coming out. Spice. <laughs> Spice. <laughs> um, he's classified as a space pirate. And we were like, what is he pirating? Because he's a giant pterodactyl monster man. What is he mm-hmm. being a pirate of? And somebody responded like, uh, he pirates HBO. <laughs> well, there but, you go. See? Mystery yeah. solved. Mystery solved. Uh, Ridley watches Game of Thrones for free. <laughs> and he's so disappointed right now. <laughs> Yeah. It's like I stole this for what? <laughs> exactly. I broke the law for this. <laughs> oh man. But um that that message actually came from Brian and Brian also sent us an email. Uh that okay. is an episode request. And so I'm going to read that out for Ooh. us. It says greetings. Though it's not a movie per se, I would like to request an episode where you discuss Kaiju Big Battle. It's a traveling professional wrestling troupe that incorporates kaiju into their theatrics. It's a fun tongue-in-cheek time that is also that also exhibits nostalgic love to the old Toho and Showa films. Plus, it's really the only place that one can see a giant French waffle body slam a humongous cup of microwavable ramen noodles. <laughs> and that's wow. definitely something everyone wants to see. <laughs> I do want to see that right now. <laughs> I definitely do. Well, thank you, Brian, for sending in that email. And it is added to the list of things we're going to talk about because that sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> for sure. Thanks, Brian, for the uh, recommendation. I have never heard of that, and I am so curious. Yeah, I have never heard of it. I did a little bit of research after getting the email, and it looks like so much fun. I'm not a big wrestling person. Um, I kind of got into you know the WWE and WWF back in the old days um, mm. when I was younger, but 
that was way on back and I've, I'm not into it anymore, but this just sounds like absolute lunacy and fun and I want to see it. So it's definitely added to the list. For sure. Mm-hmm. And um, for anybody out there, if you want to suggest uh, things for us to talk about, we're not just covering giant monster movies. We're also going to be covering TV shows, comic books, things like this. Anything that's in the world of kaiju, giant monsters, you can feel free to suggest them. And the way to do that is you can email us at uh, kaijuweekly at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at kaijuweekly on Twitter. And we will, if you send us an email or send us a tweet, we will read it out on the podcast. Yes, indeed. So I think that's going to do it for us for this week's episode. Um, Also want to remind everybody that if you enjoyed the podcast, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Maybe even write a review. If you write a review, I will read it out on the podcast because I enjoy hearing that interaction with people. And uh, it helps us get discovered and helps us be found by other people and get more listeners. And we want more listeners. (laughs) Also, I would like to uh, throw out something that was suggested to me. And it's something I'm trying to get uh, my I'm trying to get my foothold into, but I've just not had the time to really push for it. There is a new website called Podchasers that essentially accumulates all podcasts into one hub. So if you're looking for a particular mm-hmm. podcaster, maybe you like maybe you like hearing our voices and you want to know what else we've done. Well, if we've set up a profile, you can follow everything that we've done uh, in the podcasting world, any guest spots we've had, any any shows that we do. It's it's all out there, you know, so if you can go on there and rate the podcast there, should you find it on there? I, I haven't looked to see if I could find ours on there yet, or at least I've been trying and I can't find it as of yet. Maybe it's just not filtered through. It's going to get there, but yeah. um, it's fairly new, but it's something to, to, it may work. I don't know, but it's something to consider. They could also help, you know, put your review there. If you put one on Apple Podcasts, go to Podchaser and do it there. Put the same one, copy and paste. And then yep, maybe it'll work. I don't know. You said if people enjoy our voices, uh, it's more like if people enjoy Steven's voice and tolerate Travis's prepubescent sounding <laughs> voice. <laughs> you know, I've been told, and I don't hear it, you know, I've been told by certain people, and it always seems to be someone who's not American, which I I Uh guess I can find flattering. I've had uh, a Spanish-Irish chick, and I say that because that's her actual uh, Instagram handle, say that she just adored my voice. And I'm like, oh. And I just got all flustered because I was just like, but why? And she's like, because it just sounds so unique. And I'm like, yeah, but yours does too. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, your voice your voice is definitely good. It's suited to podcasting. My voice is horrible. Uh, nah. And, you got a good voice. <laughs> it doesn't match my appearance. Like people who see me, I am six foot two, over three hundred pounds. I am a big guy. <laughs> but my voice does not sound like a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, people are always kind of surprised when they see me. They're like, oh, wow, your voice does not match your appearance. I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) It's nature of things, I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah. But, um, oh, and so uh, to hint to our next week's episode and what movie we're going to talk about in our next week episode, we're mm-hmm. going to throw out a trivia question for you guys. If you uh, answer the trivia question, even if you're wrong with your answer, that's fine. We'll still give you a shout out on the next episode. So, okay, the trivia question for this week that's going to hint to our next episode is, what film had an animatronic gorilla hand give the finger to the producer on set, only to have the prop break down and be stuck in that position for a week? Dun, dun, dun. That is a hilarious bit of trivia that I cannot wait to talk about in the next oh, yeah. episode. <laughs> I am excited to talk about next week's episode because I've got a lot to say about it. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. But just the idea <laughs> of this giant animatronic gorilla and they made it give the finger to the producer while he was on set. And then it broke down and was stuck like that for a week. So you have a gorilla <laughs> hand just giving the finger to to everybody for a week. <laughs> Oh, so like I said, if anybody knows what film that is that we're talking about, or even if you just have a good guess and it may be wrong, tweet it at us, email us, let us know, and we'll give you a shout out next week when we talk about that movie. Mm -hmm. So until next week, that is it for this week's episode of Kaiju Weekly. Help control the kaiju population. Have your giant monster spayed or neutered. I'm making that my sign out. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys. (laughs) 